I say that because uh, on Wednesday, Matthew and I were praying uh, here in the building. We get together just to talk through Missio, to pray over the community, and we're just thinking through some different things. And as we reflected on the passage last week, I recognized that one of the things that my deep prayer was for Missio, uh, coming off of the story of John the Baptizer, where he was calling for repentance, uh, calling for people to change their minds, to change their behaviors, to deviate from what the norm would be for people in their socioeconomic level or in their place in life or with their different backgrounds and who their parents were and that sort of thing. Uh, he was praying that they would have algorithm-disrupting decisions. Like his call for them was like, hey, I know you're a soldier and the normal way of being a soldier is that you oppress others. How about you not do that anymore because Jesus is a good king who reigns differently? Or I know in relationships you often use other people to get ahead for yourself. What if instead we chose to love one another? I know that our paths are often set out with how can I get the most for myself? But what if we lived in such a way that we leveraged our lives to serve others, not to set up our own kingdoms? And he said, the kingdom of God's here. I want you to change the way you live. Think about repentance in that way. Like what if the algorithms that track you through your entire life, if you don't know that, Sorry to spoil that for you. You can just sit with that the rest of your time. Uh, all your individualized marketing plans, all of your uh, Netflix suggestions, all of your Instagram, you might want to follow this person. Uh, what if we live such lives that were responsive to the Spirit that the algorithms had such a hard time tracking us, figuring out why would you make decisions? Why would you just stop that behavior? Why do you no longer scroll... Amazon endlessly, even if you didn't buy anything? Why is Airbnb only viewed when you go on vacations, not just for fantasies about where you could go? That's just not Arizona because it's freezing here now, right? It's all of 50 degrees. Like we need winter jackets, parkas, gloves, hats, hoods, the whole deal. I mean, Kansas City might be a little bit colder these days, but it's really tough. And that was part of the invitation for last week. This week's story, though, continues on from that one. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 3. And so John's call out to people was live in such a way that your lives are decidedly different because you identify with God's people. And as people responded to that, they were baptized. They were put under the water, brought up. And John, uh, like a conductor narrating an magnificent opus, right? Coming together, having the orchestra together. This morning, Kenzie got in my truck, and I've been listening to classical music in my truck, and I knew she was getting in with me this morning, so I turned it up. And so she opened the door, and she's used to like hip-hop or rock greeting her when she opens the door of the truck, and it was like a concerto, and she was like, what is this? Like, this is terrible. This is even worse than mom's music, was the exact quote. Mom's music is country, in case you're wondering. So uh, the order is apparently hip-hop, rock, well, Taylor Swift's at the top, and then hip-hop, then rock, then classical, nope, and then country, and then classical. Uh, but imagine with me, you guys all have seen a conductor, like, conducting and getting really into it. Not like one of those stoic ones that's just doing this little number, right? But the ones that are in with their full body, flapping their arms like a full-on bird. That's Matthew's telling with John. He's saying, look out. There's one coming who's even greater than me. I know I've got masses coming out to be baptized in the river, but there's somebody coming who's even greater than me. I mean, I'm not even worthy of tying his sandals. I baptized you with water. He's coming with, do you remember the two things that he said he's coming with? He's coming with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so you're like, oh, I can't wait till that guy shows up, right? 
In Matthew's gospel, we haven't seen Jesus since he was a little baby with a price on his head running away to Egypt and then returning. And then it went quiet and we switched the scenes to John. John's conducting, getting up to this big moment. And this is when he steps in with this description of Jesus. He says, then Jesus, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. And you can imagine with me, like, drawing up the instruments, bringing the most out of every single section. This grand crescendo, you're waiting for someone to come with fire to purify, to baptize with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Whatever that looks like, that's God's creative force, right, at work in the world. And he's going to show up, and he just said he's going to bring justice, and he's going to set aside judgment, and you're waiting for this moment. But it says that he came to the Jordan to be baptized by John, and you can almost hear, like, the record scratch, like, Err? like, hold on, wait a second, what? This surely can't be the same human that was going to, you know, set the whole world on fire and bring the spirit. And John, this preacher, wild man from out in the woods, says, I'm not even worthy to do his sandal. He says, will you baptize me? But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this and fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. As we see Matthew telling this story and unpacking it, leading us to this moment of Jesus arriving on the scene, the Messiah, the rescuer, the one who had long been awaited to make things right, the one the Jewish people were hoping would kick the Romans out, the ones who were marginalized were hoping would bring them back to the center, uh, the one who would bring in the exiles from wherever they were to give them a home again, the one who would arrive in power and eradicate evil wherever it was found. It's this humble man who comes and is put under the water just like everyone else to identify fully with the humanity that he was representing and also to show that he did believe that God's kingdom was what was worth living for. He came up out of the water and there's this beautiful picture where the heavens open up. And the Spirit of God, which maybe we were waiting for to show up like this wrecking ball of Alexander the Great, this one who would show up and finally set right all the brokenness and evil and corruption in the world, all the pain and suffering, descends as a dove. And we're like, wait a second, that's different. That, that's coming down in a symbol of peace. And then the voice of the Father speaking out, saying, this is my beloved Son, in him, I'm well pleased. And that's the imagery. If anything from Jesus, if you're entering into this, learning about who he is and what he does, uh, it's fair to say no matter what takes place in the life of Jesus, you're about to be confused. Uh, your expectations of Jesus do not necessarily mean that he will do them. Uh, just because we anticipate or we thought or we dreamed or we read or we heard that Jesus would be a certain kind of way, uh, Matthew's reminding us that he does not follow our lines, uh, but he sets his own agenda and invites us to be a part of that. 
It's a beautiful picture of him identifying with humanity, with the people that he's come to represent, going down into the water and being raised again and inviting others to follow him in that. A part of the beauty of this is the imagery that before we see Jesus in Matthew doing any activity, this identity is affirmed. This moment doesn't make Jesus God's son. Uh, We know from reading in the Gospels that Jesus was God's son. Uh, He was conceived by God himself, right? Uh, Mary was born. Uh, Mary gave birth to him, and that was where he came from. And he was God's son from the beginning. This isn't the moment when he becomes God's son. But in this, that identity is confirmed. And so one of the things that, that I want us to see happening is this invitation that Matthew is letting us see. I'll read it out, and then I'm going to have you just uh, turn towards each other and see how this hits you. He says, those who in repentance and faith follow Jesus through baptism and along the road that he will now lead us will find if we listen, that same voice from heaven speaks to us as well. As we learn to put aside our own plans and submit to his, we may be granted moments of vision, glimpses of his greater reality. At the center of all that sudden sight, we find our loving Father, affirming us as his children, equipping us, too, with his spirit so that our lives may be swept clean and be made ready for use. I know it's a long paragraph. I'll leave it up there for a little while. You don't have to write it down. I'll send it through our app. Like, you don't, if you're writing all that down, you're welcome to. You don't have to. The imagery is saying that, that this moment in the life of Jesus is affirming something to be true, but it's also an invitation for those of us who now, because of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, are in Christ. And it's not just a moment that's affirmed once in a baptism, but it's a reality that we get to live into on a regular basis, where we live, where we work, where we play, as we're going about our school and as we're enjoying time with our friends that this is the new reality with an identity that is confirmed and affirmed. And so what I want you to do, uh, that's the way he says it. I I know it strikes a little bit different. I would love for you to turn to a few people around you and say, in light of that, so if Jesus' baptism was an invitation into this, how does that strike you? Love you too. You can come up and talk to me next time. My my group goes quick. Uh, did anybody have a reflection that they wanted to share with everyone? You don't have to, but if there is one that you'd like to, I want to give you a second to do that, to be able to reflect. Yeah. Uh, I like the imagery of baptism sweeping our lives clean and making them ready for use, kind of like a pressure washer cleaning out the gunk and, and getting a space ready for what, what is to come. I love it. Yeah, the early church, as often as they could, they would always try to baptize you in running water, if that was at all possible, to, to illustrate both that imagery of cleaning, but then also to Jesus is the, the living water. Uh, fun fact, they would also go for the coldest water possible. That way you came up and it felt like new birth. <gasps> Anybody else? Showing up ready for ministry from this point of being reminded of who he was, but also like in a gentle, quiet way, right, to announce his kingship and his kingship and his sonship tied together uh, in that way. And we also talked about the way that God loves us and works in our life is also like just how we don't expect Jesus to show up as a king and to be baptized. God loves us in a way where we don't expect as well, and, and it's for our good. 
and it's usually gentle and kind, even if it's not what we want. Going once, going twice, sold. Uh, none of the nudging, nobody raised their hand after they got nudged, so I won't make them. Um, just so you guys know, as a church family, so this is where a lot of the practice, uh, baptism wasn't something new, it wasn't something unique. John wasn't the first one to do it. It marked people for many different ceremonies up to this point. Uh, as we look as a church, though, we say, hey, why do we still practice baptism today? Um, if you're a part of Missio and you want to get baptized, we have a process we go through. Uh, if you're a believer who wants to get baptized, uh, we also practice infant baptism as a church where uh, if babies are baptized by their parents, and this helps to show, and it's two lanes of the same road. And so one is that in that, uh, people have believed this to be true that Jesus truly is the Messiah, that he is the deliverer, the rescuer, the only one in whom we have hope. And they've placed their faith in him, and by faith and repentance, they're walking in that, and that's why we do the baptism uh, just a few months ago, right? Michaela got baptized. You guys popped off streamers everywhere. I'm still picking up pieces to celebrate that, that, that what was once uh, dead has been made alive, right? That there's something new, life-giving that's happening in her life, and we celebrate that together. And then there's an affirmation that you are a child of God, which is beautiful. I think about how different that is from every other ancient Near Eastern religion, right? So if you were super, you're, people were always made to serve the gods, but they were never becoming gods. Pharaohs claimed that name for themselves. They got to be the son of God, right? But everybody else was a slave and subservient to them. Uh, even in the Greek pantheon of gods, they were always messing with humans and belittling them and doing terrible things to them. But their hope and aspiration was never that humans became gods. This was revolutionary for God to look out and say, no, 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 you are my children. He said it over Israel, and now he was saying it over Jesus, and the invitation is that if we're in Christ, we also are children of God and heirs. That's mind-blowing. And so that's why we baptize believers in that way. Uh, others, and Missio practices both these, others in the church have practiced baptism as infants. And this doesn't mean that, that as babies get baptized that they are believers in Jesus and they're repented and they have the full cognition of that. That's not what that imagery is. That imagery is that parents saying, we want to raise our children in their awareness that this is what God's promises are over them. And we're going to raise them in that until they have a point when they believe for themselves and have a confession of faith. And that might seem like, wait a second, why do we do both? I thought that's why like denominations do it differently. And it 100% is why denominations do it differently. As Missio, we've said, hey, we're part of a church, and we've got people that hold both convictions, and both convictions are theologically and orthodoxly held across churches for many different years in history. And so while it does create a slightly different tension, um, and this is a reason some churches split, we've said, hey, we're not splitting over practices that have been done by the people of God for thousands of years in both ways. And so we honor both. And so some people here have kids who have been baptized. Others as believers have been baptized. Parents, this is up to you and what you decide for your children. And we honor both. Um, we also uh, want to have those conversations that continue. This won't be a full lecture on that topic. But I wanted to remind us that that's where we are. And one is a promise believed. Like people are believing that this promise will be true of their children one day. The other is a promise received that we say, I am in Christ. And this is how I want to represent that. And so we do both as a community because we want to partner together for the sake of mission and following Jesus, not be divided over a practice that has literally split tens of thousands of people throughout history. 
Uh, both were practiced by the church. You can find evidence for both uh, in Scripture. Uh, you might have a conviction that's stronger one way or the other. Uh, we're just not breaking fellowship over that. And I'm happy to explain that more in detail for some of you. Probably those of you that were raised more Baptist are like, yo, whoa, 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 whoa. Um, I am happy to talk with you. That's where I'm at. Um, and so my kids haven't been baptized uh, as babies. Um, Charlie's kids have been baptized as babies. And so if you're part of the community, you're like, oh, and we co-labor, and we've done that across our communities. All of our Missio communities do that for both. So it might have seemed like, wait a second, where did that fit in? Right here. Uh, the story's going to keep going, though. And if you have questions, do hit me up. This isn't like, I don't want to talk about this. I absolutely do want to talk about this, uh, just not for the rest of our time this morning. So feel free to reach out. I would love to. The story keeps going, though, because right after Jesus' identity is affirmed, uh, heaven's split open. There's this beautiful moment, right, where there's a vision of God in power above it all, ripped back, dove comes down, rests on Jesus. He's filled with the Spirit. He comes out of the water, and the story of Jesus goes, and they lived happily ever after, right? That's it. Chapter 3, chapter 4 is the end, and then we're done. No, the story keeps going, and let's keep reading. Then Jesus was led by the what? That same spirit that just came on, right? That same spirit that just descended like a dove is going to lead him somewhere. And it's never, never land. It's happy, golden brick road sort of stuff. And the spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, understatement of the year. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you so that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's a quote in the Bible. Jesus answered him, it is also written, don't put the Lord your God to test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, which means tempter, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left and the angels came and attended him. Uh, these two stories together on purpose uh, because the identity was just affirmed and immediately after that, the identity is tested. I was looking for artwork because I found really beautiful artwork for the baptism of Jesus. Did you guys appreciate that? That was really fantastic. And so I put in, because I'm a good pastor like that, I was like, we should probably have one for the second story. And I typed in, Jesus is tempted, artwork, send. And this is what comes up. And so I'd love you to reflect on this and tell me what you see for just a second. Uh, apparently, Jesus is being tempted by uh, Spider-Gwen. And uh, Matthew pointed out it's probably Area 51, but I was, uh, I was actually conflicted with that. I said, that's clearly Arizona. Um, there's saguaro cactus and bear cactus, right? Uh, they conveniently put the six right on Jesus' forehead, which I'm not sure what they're trying to say. Uh, there's all these imagery. We're not going to really reflect on this, but uh, to point out, one, don't just Google stuff and throw it out, okay? Uh, two, this scene is really bizarre. 
Uh, God's son is coming down, and I'm taking that off, otherwise you're just going to look at it. Uh, God's son is coming down, and he's being tempted by the, and so we, we have this weirdness about this, where it's like, all right, this is a really unique individual event. What is happening here? And there's a few things happening simultaneously, but I'm going to send you back to those groups that you were just with. Uh, if you have a Bible, keep it open and look at those. There's three temptations that are given. There are hundreds of pages written, usually with alliterated points, on what these three temptations are. Uh, there's a billion different ways that we try to synthesize these three things that the enemies coming at Jesus with. I'm going to add a billion in one because I'm going to give one at the end of this. But as you read this, and as you heard those words, would you turn the bread, or the turn the stones into bread? Jesus, is that about his pleasure? Is that about, what is that about? He takes them up to the highest point of the temple and says, throw yourself down. Angels will take care of you. Is he challenging God's protection? And then the third, right, that imagery of him saying, look out over everything. You can have the crown without a cross. This whole suffering and being human thing sucks. You can just have it all now. Bow your knee. And this imagery, that all worship of something or someone other than God is idolatry is woven in there so beautifully. Uh, but there's a lot of different ways we could take those things. As you look at that, as you read that, what strikes you about these temptations? What is Jesus being tempted with? Uh, you're not going to have a wrong answer here unless you say Spider-Gwen is trying to steal Jesus's um, divinity or something, then you're off. But outside of that, uh, what do you see Jesus being tempted with in this story? All right, just like we did last time, if you've got a thought that you'd like to share with the larger crew, uh, you're welcome to put your hand up. I'll get you the mic. We'll take a few minutes to share those with each other. Uh, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But is there anything you guys were thinking or talking about that you'd like to share? What do you see Jesus being tempted with? The, there's like two different instances where people are concerned with him eating and his response is something along the lines of like, I have sustenance elsewhere. Um, the other being Jesus at the well with uh, the Samaritan woman. So just like a really interesting, like there's a physical like, you're hungry, you should eat. And he's like, no, I have sustenance elsewhere, which like I personally, I, I mean like I might do okay with fasting for a couple of days, but like 40 days I would be like, give me some food. So just a really interesting response. I don't really think of each of the parts of being like a specific temptation, like food, or we said like food, safety, um, basic needs, but rather I kind of view this more holistically where it seems like the devil is tempting Jesus to imitate him. Like if the devil is the prince of the power of the air, he has the ability to offer all of these things to God, or at least he's, he's pretending like he does. So it seems very similar to me, um, the way that he invited Adam and Eve to imitate him in the garden. So it seems like the same thing again. Like rather than modeling what God and what the Holy Spirit has told you and has instructed you to do, rather imitate me and model me and satisfy your physical needs how I'm instructing you to. Anybody else? <laughs> I figured it was, 
Um, I'm going to share Charlie's because it was good. And he doesn't want to talk on the mic. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, he was talking about the, like, the, the tempter says scripture, and then Jesus also says something back with scripture, and not like an argument, but like a, and also, it also says this. And I was thinking about how that felt really similar, resonated with what you were just saying moments before about baptism, where like, there's two things that it both says, and so we're kind of holding both. But, um, and then a few chapters later, because we're reading Matthew right now, um, I was just thinking about, oh, in a few chapters, Jesus is going to tell, um, teach that it's no longer about what the law says, but about your heart. And, you know, the law said to not, you know, um, not kill somebody. But I say if you hate your brother, you've murdered them. So um, it's like Jesus is already practicing that piece. Like this isn't about us going toe-to-toe on what scripture is right, but this is a heart issue, and I'm going to hold fast to what, like, that instead. Does that make sense? Okay. Keep developing it. Love it. I had a few more minutes to think about it than just the three that you guys had. Uh, One of the ways that I see this being something that that Jesus is being tempted with, and and all three, what are the similar things? Uh, These suggestions are ways of distorting his true identity and calling. He starts off with, if you're really God's son, right? Like, like, if you really are God's son. If what was just said in Matthew's telling, it's just been said that you are my beloved son and you am well pleased. Uh, And then he immediately, it's almost like it's immediate, gets ushered away by the spirit into the wilderness. If you really are God's son, if what God has said about you is true, then do these things. It was to pull him away from his identity as God's beloved son and his calling to be a truly human being for the sake of the world. He was hoping to draw him away from that calling that he had. And so there's a lot of different ways to break it down. I encourage you to, to meditate and meditate on this text. Uh, these three temptations are the one that church history has for so many years uh, modeled the different temptations that we often face today. And while we might not face the same exact temptations of Jesus, it wouldn't be tempting for Satan to come to Kevin and say, cool, will you turn these rocks into bread? I don't have, possess the ability to do As of yet, I don't possess the ability to do that. I don't want to limit God's power here. But I have never once said, uh, turn into a Jersey Mike sandwich, and it's happened, right? Like, I'm still out on that. So if you're really hoping for that, you're going to want to find a different guy to lead this thing. But we have this imagery that the same things that he's being tempted with are being drawn away. I, I want us to also zoom out because Matthew's doing a few things here. Uh, it was Isaiah, I don't think you were wrong to say he's modeling this after the first humans in the garden as well in the telling of the story. The tempter comes to them and attempts to get them to doubt. If you remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? He shows up in the garden, the tempter does, and says, did God really say this temptation? Did God really say that you couldn't eat of any of the trees in the garden? She's like, no, there's only this one that we can't eat from or even touch. And she distorts God's word, and that leads her into the place where she eats the fruit, gives it to her husband Adam, who's there with her, and immediately the full effects of sin are felt in the world, right? So what Matthew's doing is hearkening this back to this big cosmic story of how the world was formed and what went wrong. And so as we've seen every step of the way, the heroes in the story that we thought maybe would be the ones to make it right failed miserably. And so Adam and Eve in the garden, did God really say? 
the tempter here to Jesus, did God really, are you really, if you are God's son? It's interesting, the first one around food as well, too. I don't know the full affirmation, but like that's where they're at again. And it looks good, and you want that. There's a desire, a doubting God in what he said. And Adam and Eve fell, right? And the story goes on, and over the story of uh, Israel, this is again meant to make you think of that, the 40 days with the 40 years of wandering, the testing in the wilderness, God's own son, right? Matthew presents Jesus as the one who, in his experience, recapitulates, big word for retells, the story of Israel. Like Israel of old, Jesus has been called by God out of Egypt. Remember that story Matthew starts? He's, he's called out to Egypt uh, to flee from the persecution that's coming, and then he's returned back to live a life of humble obedience. Jesus is 30 years old at this point, and he's identified in humility with those being baptized. Like Israel, this calling was put to test in the wilderness, and the hope of the story is that, unlike Israel, Jesus will remain faithful where Israel was disobedient. Uh, There's also the imagery of Israel going through the Red Sea, and he's now in the Jordan. In fact, if you remember, there's a point where Israel had to cross the Jordan as well on their way into the Promised Land. And so this imagery is stacking up on the big picture to make your head go back to the rest of the story to be like, oh, I see this taking place in other spaces. Uh, it's uh, in the literary structure of the book, which is a big thing, and I'm going to pull this back down to us in just a second. He's saying the story of Jesus is looking a lot like the story of Israel, which looks a lot like the story of Adam and Eve, where humanity has chosen at any juncture when tempted and drawn away from their vocation to be the women and the men and the children that God desired them to be, they've turned away from that to go for what's easy, to doubt that God would protect them, to look for a crown without ever having to go the way of the cross. What is the path of least resistance and who or what can give me what I think I want and I'll take that over waiting and trusting God? That's what takes place. And so when we look at temptation, I want us to be absolutely clear. If you have heard God's voice calling you his child, you will also hear the voice of the tempter whispering suggestions to you because he wants to destroy and distract you from the vocation that God has given you. It is not lost on me that in the nation that possesses the most wealth in the history of humanity, we spend more on Halloween than we do on missional engagement. That's in the church and that's in the world, right? The nation that has the most resources, the most education, like where we are in America, we also are the most distracted of any generation, not leveraging what we have for the common good of others. Uh, We have the potential in a moment to do more probably with what we've been given, but our hearts are just so distracted and we end up spending on ourselves and spinning out and destroying our lives in the process of trying to get what we really want most. It's also not lost on me that we're not aware that the enemy really does want to destroy. Like he sees your life, he sees your marriage, he sees your business, he sees the creative gifts that God's given you, he's seen the relationships that you have, he sees the joy that you get when you're with a community of faith, and he wants nothing more than to destroy that. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He's ultimately opposed to what God wants, and he will do whatever it takes in whispers, most often, to get you questioning, did what God say is true really true? Like, I know it says that, 
but I feel differently. But I, but I want something, and I don't see how God can fulfill that need, and so I should be able to go around that to get something else. And we end up finding more security in our square footage than we do in the Savior, and we don't know why our lives seem so messed up. And so while our temptations or our testing of our faith might not be the same exact things that Jesus went through, like it won't be point for point most likely for most of us. I mean, I've never taken up to the top of the temple and shown like the world thing, like that hasn't happened yet. But you can absolutely believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will be those that are targeted for distraction and destruction by the enemy because he sees what is good and right and beautiful in you and wants to corrupt it. And that temptation comes in a million different ways. I love the idea of whispers of distraction being just as devastating as those big things that we look at and say we'd be destroyed by that. I won't go near that. If we're looking as a community, those distractions build up over time and then we end up very different spaces than we ever thought we'd be. How do we get so far from a community of faith? How do we get so far from we know what God's calling in our life is? How do we get so far from the vocation to be men and women and children who exist for the sake of others, not just for our own satisfaction? It's one small decision at a time that we've made when we're slightly distracted. And so what I want to do is, and I would love for you to jot this part down, because I just want to look at what Jesus did and just take it point for point and say, hey, this isn't like these four things keep you from ever giving into temptation, but it's a great starting place as if this is what Jesus did. And I think Matthew writes it out. This book is for discipleship so that men and women and children, as they read it and were shaped by this story, would be like, how do I deal with temptation then? I know it's not like Adam and Eve who gave into it. I know it's not like Israel who had moments of splendor, but then ultimately gave over to these desires and gave over to these ways of being distracted. What do we do? A first thing that you see Jesus, and it's no mistake, store scripture in your heart and know how to use it. It's why we're starting off this year with a, on Saturday we'll do the first of two sessions on what is the Bible and how do I hear God's voice in it? Because it matters what we do with the word of God. It's not a book of spells. It's not a book of moral stories. It's not just a book of rules, but the story of God is meant to shape our entire lives. And as well as we know the lines from friends, we better darn well know the lines from the scripture. I could probably go younger for some audience, but I don't know what you guys watch and memorize. Taylor Swift lyrics. Are we more discipled by Taylor Swift than we are by Jesus? But what is it that, that comes out of us when we feel the pressure coming in? Do we turn to the conventional wisdom of the world or do we know, like, no, this is what God says? Memorize it, learn it, be in it. That's why we're going to be in Matthew for an entire year so this can soak in so that for the rest of your life you can say, I at least know the story of Jesus, what he did, and what he invites me into. So that's set. Now where do I go from there? Uh, secondly, in the story, you see that he trusted God. I put the true story symbols down at the bottom because in every act of the story, you see God being faithful and it's humans who are faithless. And so what do we want to trust? Our own hearts, which can lead us away at times? Or trust in the faithfulness of God to provide, protect, and do precisely what he said he would do. In every act of the story, we see God is faithful and trustworthy. Money lets people down all the time. Other people's opinion regularly fails people. Our own pursuits that are to go beyond what God's invited us into or to use our gifts for ourselves and not for the sake of the others always ends in destruction. So how will we be people who choose to trust God? I know what he said. I know what I feel, and I'm going to go with what he said. 
until it lines up with what I also feel and they can come together. Will we trust God? Did God really say, yes, he did, and now I'm good to go on? Next, remember your baptismal identity and calling. Your beloved child of God who brings God's light to the world. I use that picture on purpose because some of you know his story. I was talking to my friend who's in jail right now. Uh, he's also the guy getting dunked in that tank. And so he, I was talking to him this week, and he's reading through Matthew with us. He made some choices. He's there by his own choice. He did it. He's good. He'll be out soon. But he's in there, and he's reading through Matthew with us. So he's right at Matthew 11, which is beautiful that he's reading it along with his son who's at our house, who's also reading Matthew. So they're able to talk about Matthew together. Beautiful little picture. Uh, I'm talking to him about what's happening to him on the inside, right? Because sometimes uh, when you're in spaces that are held out by bars and cement walls, it can either seem like God's really present and that's all I have, and then he's just not on the outside, or it feels like he can't get to the inside. He's held out by the same bars and walls that keep everybody else out. And so literally this week, we're on the phone and we're talking, and I'm reminding him, hey, remember when you got baptized in that building? Do you remember when you went under the water and you came out with joy because Jesus had saved you from something and saved you to something? And the reminder that even in prison, as I was talking to him, was God has saved you from something still and for something still. So what is one way today that you can live out that calling to be light in prison? And he's thinking through and coming up with very specific ways that even in a small way, given the restrictions he has, that he can still be a person of light in a very dark space. If he's doing that in prison, us in the comfort of our home should be able to come up with some ways, even in the moments of pressure, to remember, no, I am God's child. I don't have to act like Satan's kid anymore. I'm God's child. I don't have to live for myself anymore. I am God's child. He will absolutely provide for me. And he's given me more than enough so that I can give to others. Remember your baptismal identity and that calling to bring light to the world. And then the last thing, ultimately, say no to the other voices and yes to the calling of God. Say no to the other voices and yes to the calling of God. The picture of the lures behind there is on purpose. Uh, if you've ever spent any time fishing, your goal is to get the fish to bite the hook with whatever bait or lure you put on it, right? You guys get that that's the main idea of fishing? Cool. It's not to sit out there. It's not to drink soda or beer. It's not to hang out with your friends. It's not to just get really angry for no reason or sunburned. Uh, those aren't the main reasons. They're just kind of, they're adjacent to that reason. The main reason that you should be fishing is to catch fish. Uh, and to do that, you're trying to get that fish to catch on to that lure. And so in the times that I've spent, you pick the right lure to match the right fish. But there's nothing saying the fish ever has to grab it. And that's what's so dang frustrating about the process of fishing. Is that nothing says that the fish has to bite it except for the fact that it really wants it, it's really shiny, it looks like it tastes good, and so I'll go for it. Same thing true for us when the enemy tempts us. There is nothing saying that you have to bite. With the spirit of the living God inside of you, your identity as a child locked in, you are absolutely able to say no. And those first three steps would be things to help orient you in that direction. Kay made cinnamon rolls the other day, and they were amazing. Uh, she doesn't do it very often. It was like the first time in like three years. And when they came out of the oven, it wouldn't, like they smelled delicious and then she made the fresh icing to go on it. Kids were asleep so they couldn't even eat any. It was a glorious moment in human history, right? And they come out of the oven and she's like, here, do you want one? And the answer is yes. And this isn't a story that's wrong. It's not wrong to eat cinnamon rolls, all right? So I grabbed it, did it on there. And then there's like this thought that goes through your head like, 
I should eat like five of these because they're the best they're ever going to be. And now while maybe not directly sin, that's very unwise to do uh, because you won't be able to love your neighbor the next day because you'll be all sugared up. You'll be completely feeling like trash uh, and it won't be great, but they would have been great to do. And so in having one, which was a delight, it was great. I felt this voice in my head saying, it's the same voice that tells me I should eat 20 chicken McNuggets at one time once a year, which is always a bad choice. But there's always that thought of saying like, oh, I could do this and that would be delicious and you really want that. And I did. And if I wasn't so tired, I might have continued to go in on these things, right? But there's a moment where I could say, no, I had one, that's enough, and now I'm done and able to go on from there. The imagery being, we are able to participate in good things in God's creation without overindulging. Uh, when that voice comes in our head saying, you should keep doing that. That, that, that's really good. And there's another part of you that's the wise part of you that might be the spirit of God part of you saying like, no, that's not for you. We have a choice to make. Again, to know God's word, our role in God's story, and know how to use that is important. To remember our baptismal identity, absolutely important. To trust God over other voices, absolutely crucial. And at the end of that, to say no to what's tempting and yes to what God's inviting us into will lead to life in fresh, exciting, and meaningful ways. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus, saying no to this and yes to him. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your gift of life. Thank you for the model you set and the power that you give us. God, would Missio be the type of people who are able to recognize the voice of the enemy and lean into the voice of you? your voice speaking over us, that we are beloved, that we are accepted, that we are delighted in, not because of what we do, but because of whose we are. God, would that mark us and lead us to want to say yes to you and no to the things that distract or distort or destroy us. God, even as we come to the table in a moment, would we be able to identify maybe some of those voices that we've been listening to? And would we find fresh faith and fresh hope and fresh joy in saying yes to you and no to what ultimately wants to undo us. We ask this in your name, Jesus, the power of your spirit. Amen.